You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers. Moving on to uh, another week and another outlaw. Not a gunslinger, though. Not a gunslinger. Not this time. Escape from Alcatraz. You guys already know the story. I'm sure you guys know of the story. And uh, blah, blah, blah. Never found. Everybody watched uh, Escape from Alcatraz or seen their dad watch Escape from Alcatraz or seen their grandfather watch. Yeah. You guys already know the paper mache heads. I'm sure you do where they faked them and then uh, escaped. But do you guys know the rest of the behind the scenes stuff? If not. You're going to hear it here. If if you do, you're going to hear it here. If you listen, I guess, right? You'll find out. You'll find out. At the end of this hour and a half, you will know everything about the escape from Alcatraz. Everything about it. And what led up to it. And if you guys want to watch this on video and unedited, where you get probably a good extra 20 to 30 minutes that doesn't make the podcast, um, go to patreon.com forward slash bang dang. You get this show, Monday Night Watch along, Lee and Corey, plus our brand new show, Battles of the American Civil War, all in video, all unedited, $2 a month. Can't beat that. And... I know videos in nowadays for podcasts, so two dollars a month can't beat it. Just flip it on your own TV, and then you can see uh, Dang's gray hair sticking out of his uh, sideburns. So what are you gonna do right? What are you gonna do right? Late on the night <laughs> of uh, June 11th or early morning of June 12th, it's undecided. Inmates Clarence Anglin, John Anglin, and Frank Morris tucked paper mache heads resembling their own likenesses into their beds, broke out of the main prison, yeah. um, and departed the island aboard an improvised inflatable raft to an uncertain fate. And that uncertain fate, we will cover right here. Cover right here with some... Uh, some pretty convincing arguments as to whether or not they survived, too. So I mean, a lot of coincidence, if not. Frank Lee Morris, September 1st, 1926 is when he was born in Washington, D.C. No nation camp. No nation camp. <laughs> his parents abandoned him when he was 11. He spent the rest of the child in foster homes. Not just one, multiple. I don't see how he's an orphan. Isn't an orphan when your parents are dead? For sure. Or, I guess, right? Or you don't have parents. I mean, you couldn't I mean, have got parents, parents, though. All right. He was convicted of his final, his final, his first crime at the age of 13. And by his late teens, he's been arrested for crimes ranging from narcotics possessions, armed robbery. So he was a gunslinger. Armed robbery, yeah, but he didn't sling it. I'm sure he did. When he, right. when he uh, robbed the places, he's like, give me your money. Did it say this is a stick up back then? This is a stick this up. This is a stick up. Hands in the air. And it's a stick up, see? So we got armed robbery narcotic. He spent most of his early years in jail serving lunch to prisoners. Oh, good for him. Later, he was arrested for grand larceny in Miami Beach. Car theft and armed robbery as well. Morris reportedly ranked in the top 2% of the general population intelligence. Mm. So he was a smart mofo with mm. an IQ of 133. It's always the smart ones. There's a couple of geniuses before that we've had already, haven't we? Yeah, and they all turned out to be uh, not so smart in the end. Right. He served time in Florida and Georgia, then escaped from the Louisiana State Penitentiary, was serving 10 years for, you guessed it, bank robbery. He was recaptured a year later while committing a burglary and sent to Alcatraz on the 20th of January, 1960. His inmate number, AZ1441. 
on AZ1441, please stand up and face the bars. Well, then we had his accomplices. Cop, cop, his accomplices is uh, John and Clarence Anglin, who are obviously brothers. Uh, John William, born May 2nd, 1930. Clarence, born May 11th, 1931. Yeah. It's your part. They were born into a family of 13 children in Donaldsonville, Georgia. Donaldson. Their parents, George Robert Anglin and Rachel Van Miller Anglin, were seasonal, seasonal farm workers. In the early 1940s, they moved, to the fa- they moved the family to Ruskin, Florida, 20 miles south of Tampa, where the truck farms and tomato fields provided a more reliable source of income. They did. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Each June, though, they migrated as north as far north as Michigan to pick cherries. So they're going all the way from Florida to Michigan. Just to pick some cherries. And cherries were usually in northern Michigan, so that's a far away to Michigan, too. Are they I hope are they selling them in Michigan? Or are they going back to Florida and selling them? I would say they're probably going back to Florida and selling them. How they can keep them fresh. Right. Yeah. So maybe they're just selling them there. Right. Or working as a cherry picker. Cherry pickers or something. Right. The old cherry picker. <laughs> Clarence and John were reportedly inseparable as youngsters. They became they became skilled swimmers. So there's your uh skill for what we're about to find out and amazed their siblings by swimming in the frigid waters of Lake Michigan as ice still floated on the surface, which dangerous. Another um, dangerous lake to be swimming in. Another clue for you guys as to what these guys are like and the frigid temperatures of the bay that they supposedly swim. Right. In are- so these guys are used to the cold weather and jumping in frigid, nasty fucking freaking ice filled lakes. Especially uh, Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan in the wintertime. That's going to be a hell of a lot better than uh, the San Francisco Bay in the summertime. Pacific is pretty cold, though. It's a cold ocean. Yeah, but it's the bay. Bays are usually warmer. Warmer, especially in L.A. I forget what time they... Well, San Fran, same what, thing. What um, month? It was in June or July. Yeah, June, so yeah. summer in the bay. In the bay. I mean, Come on. couldn't have been that frigid. Cold enough, though. I mean, I'm sure it ain't no Lake Superior. The sea in San Francisco is cold all year round. In addition, the water temperature remains quite stable. In fact, it ranges from 54 degrees to 57 degrees. That's cold. That's cold. 54 degrees, it, rain, it averages between January and June, and then 57 between August and November. Yeah, that's cold. Hypothermia. Frigid. Well, how cold does Lake Michigan get in winter? Oh, in the winter, it's 36 to 39 degrees. Yeah. <clears throat> so a full 20 degrees lower, freaking give you a hypothermia in no time. So, yeah. We are established the Anglin brothers are seem to be expert at swimming in frigid waters and Lake Michigan, especially in the winter is probably even more rough than uh, the Bay would be right. Uh, Lake Michigan is a, it's basically an ocean, man. Right. So it's one of the most dangerous keep, lakes. Keep that in mind when we get later on in the story, guys, so, so many people drown in Lake Michigan every year. It's ridiculous. Clarence was first caught breaking into a service station when he was 14. The brothers began robbing banks and other establishments as a team in the early 1950s, usually targeting businesses that were closed to ensure that no one could get injured. Well, look at them. Yeah. Got the uh, right. the people in mind. Right. It's like, we can easily do this at night. There's no reason we need to go in the middle of the day and scare a bunch of people and right. possibly hurt somebody. Go to prison. Right. Even longer. Right. They claimed that they used uh, a weapon only once during a bank heist, and it was a toy gun. 1958, John, Clarence, and Alfred Anglin robbed the Columbia Savings Bank building in Columbia, Alabama. All received 35-year sentences, which they served at Florida State Penitentiary, Florida State Prison, mm-hmm. Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, and right. then Atlanta. So they served those in three different prisons, huh? Or 
one in each. I think it would be one in they each. They all went to one, all, all three of them. Went to the same prisons at the same time? I don't know about the same time, but they were all at the three. Well, at least Clarence and John. After uh, after repeated attempts to escape from Atlanta, John and Clarence were transferred to Alcatraz. So what happened to uh, old Alfred? It is never ever said it, is it? No. So Alfred just serves out his little 35-year sentence goes and home. Just goes home. So this ain't for me, guys. Huh. John arrived on 24th of October in 1960 as inmate AZ1476. Then brother Clarence on January 10th, 1961, a couple months later. That's inmate AZ1485. So nine prisoners later, here comes his brother. He's like, oh, shit, brother. Hey, look at you, man. Doing, brother? Look at you, man. Well, how, how was your Christmas? Right. <laughs> Did you get everything in your wish list? <laughs> I got a new toothbrush. Got John Cena pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> and John Cena actually owned figure. <laughs> um, and the little known uh, guy in this whole thing who, uh, unfortunately for him, didn't make the old trip on the bay, Alan West. Uh, lived from March 25th, 1929 to December 21st, 1978. He was born in New York City. New York City. He was arrested over 20 times throughout his lifetime and in prison for car theft in 1955, first at Atlanta, oh. then Florida State Prison. After mm. an escape attempt from the Florida facility, he was transferred to Alcatraz before all the others in 1957 at the age of 28 and became inmate AZ1335. So this guy's there already, knows the layout. I got some friends. I bet you Frankie got to him quick. Or were they uh, roommates? No, they each other separate rooms, didn't they? I think so. There was no double rooming. Not oh. on the rock. Not on the rock. Mm-mm. Four inmates all knew each other from the previous incarcerations in Florida and Georgia. When they were assigned adjacent cells in December of 1961, they began formulating Idiots. an escape plan under the leadership of... Frank Morris. They would have had to known that all these guys served in the same prison together previously. And every single one of them are charged with escaping. Right. And clearly the two brothers, and they're just like, hey, you guys get all these four right here. Right. All next to each other. Jeez. Feel free to communicate however you want. Jeez. <laughs> Over the next six months, they widened the ventilation ducts beneath their sinks using discarded saw blades found on the prison grounds, which don't make no damn sense. We're talking about one of the, the toughest prisons in America. And there's saw blades laying on the ground outside. <laughs> They're just like, he's like, what the hell is that? You guys dump those saw blades out there this morning? Fresh. They don't want them to be rusted. They got to be fresh ones every day. They got like a pile of saw blades just <laughs> in the corner of the yard. <laughs> it's like when the bricks showed up at the rioters. All right. How these get here? I don't know. Let's use them. Let's use them. <laughs> uh, they use the blades they found on the prison grounds. Metal spoons from the mess hall and electric drill improvised from the motor of a vacuum cleaner. So it'd be quiet. I don't know. Have you ever heard of vacuum cleaner? Well, the vacuum, that's a sucking sound. The motor is actually quiet. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You ever turn the vacuum cleaner on and not just leave it sit there? It's not sucking. No, it is. It's oh, always still, still going. Still sucking. That's what that is. That'd be loud. Of course it's going to be loud. You're in the damn prison. Everybody's going to hear it. And we're like, what the hell are they doing? They're trying to get the hell out of here. Nah, I don't know about that. I think it was like a little quiet. It just spun. How can nobody hear metal versus concrete? It's going. Oh. That'll be louder than the motor itself. Or tink, tink, tink for hours. Like, what is that? What is that sound? It stops every time I walk by itself. <laughs> Weird. It's like a loose something. Crazy man, keeps me up all night. Oh, I can't believe it. Did you hear that? You guys got to do something about this. <laughs> right. Can't even get a good night sleeping in this damn place. So anyhow, yeah, they're digging holes. 
taking souls. The men can seal their work with painted cardboard and match the noise. Oh, what? Yeah, they made like little vents or they put the, actually it. put the vents around and they plastered around or some something like that. I get it. Uh, and they match the noise with Morris's accordion. Uh, <laughs> right. A music hour. So we did it for an hour a day. One hour per day. Yeah. That's all mm-hmm. you can do. I mean, I'm you sure. got nothing else to do, right? Sure. Look at there's a picture of the cardboard in the grate around it to get them a hole big enough to get out of there. Nice. Did they put that back on after they left? No. Yeah. Because you would see that when you're walking through. That's what I'm saying. Oh, once the holes were wide enough to pass through, the men ex- accessed the unguarded utility corridor directly behind their cell's tier and climbed to the vacant top level of the cell block where they set up a clandestine workshop. Here, using over 50 raincoats, among other stolen and donated materials. Nice. Like, <laughs> they're out standing in the mess hall. <laughs> Taking donations. Taking donations for the great escape. <laughs> Uh, even, even the guards are. Yeah, I was say, even, even the guards are like giving them shit. They I'll probably see this one. They, they probably had a pool on if they were actually going to make it or escape or anything. Like I bet you fifty bucks they don't do it. I got that. Double it. Uh, they also, yeah, with the donated materials, they constructed life preservers based on a design one of them found in Popular Mechanics. Mm. Not sure why uh, Popular Mechanics would be doing fifty raincoats and right. a raft. Well, I doubt there are raincoats as far as something else. And the guy was like, oh, I can use raincoats. Right, that's true. They also assembled a six by 14 foot rubber raft. The seams carefully stitched by hands and sealed with heat from nearby steam pipes. That's where uh, Morris's IQ comes in. He's like, see that steam over there? Paddles were improvised from scrap wood and screws. Don't know how they got either of those. Right. Um, finally, they climbed a ventilation shaft to the roof and removed the rivets. Yeah, oh. They had wood shop and all that. Remove the rivets holding a large fan in place. How do they move riv- uh, remove rivet? Yeah, no, no, that's a little rough there. Rivets, you got to grind off. Or at least bang the shit out of them until they pop out. <sighs> well, they could. They're like damn old pipes. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> like, uh, Warden, we should probably get that checked out. Right, nah, we're good, but yeah. <laughs> We already uh, use up our government right. funds. We don't, got the, we don't got the, you, you want overtime or what? <laughs> All right, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> The men conceal their absence while working outside their cells. And after the escape itself by sculpting dummy heads from a homemade paper mache like mixture of soap, toothpaste, concrete dust, and toilet paper. And give them a realistic appearance with paint from the maintenance shop and hair from the barbershop floor. With towels and clothing piled under, under the blankets in their bunks and the dummy heads positioned on the pillow, they appeared to be sleeping. No, 99. Even though one of the dummies heads, uh, the eyes are open on it. I know, right? <laughs> like, why wouldn't they just close them? Close them. Uh, the night of June 11, 1962, with all preparations in place, the men initiated their plan. Uh, West discovered that the cement he had used reinforced crumbling, crumbling concrete around his vent and hardened, narrowing in the opening and fixing the grill in place. He, mm. he did too good of a job. Poor guy. <laughs> well, by the time he managed to remove the grill and rewiden the hole, the others had left without him. He said, <laughs> I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> well. He's like, well, all right. All ready to go, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, yeah today's the big day. <laughs> the big day. Like, Man, they won't leave me." Hmm. Digging out, and then goes all the way over there. Like, damn, they left. They left. What am I to do now? From this, right? How did he dig out without anybody hearing him? Again, you know he was frantic in the middle of the night. You know he was frantically doing it. Right. Get the fuck out of here. Hmm. Right. From the service corridor, more that, that makes me think that guy was lying. He probably never even tried to do tried it. To, uh, just right. like freak or, this, I'm staying here. 
Right. He never even, uh, yeah, he never even dug a hole in the first place. Because I did find a hole in his in the cell. Yeah, sec- second thoughts. When it actually comes down to doing it, he's like, ooh, it sounded good. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know about that. And all the work that I did to do this, it gave me something to do for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I'm good. I'm sure they probably, right? I'm sure they probably heard about all the other escaped attempts right. that failed or somebody got shot or something. When it comes down to it, you, find you got cold feet. Mm-hmm. It's so better than having a cold body. Right. From the service corridor, Morris and the Englands climbed the ventilation shaft to the roof. Guards heard a loud crash as they broke out of the shaft, but nothing further was heard. And the source of the noise was not investigated. It's like a video game when you make a noise and the guard's like, hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Goes over there. Looks around. He's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Walks back. <Yeah. laughs> I'm good now. Hauling their gear with them, they descended 50 feet to the ground by sliding down a kitchen vent pipe. Then climbed two 12-foot barbed wire perimeter fences. Mm. Dang. Two of them. All of this without no guard seeing them, which is weird. At the northeast shoreline near the power plant, a blind spot in the prison's network of searchlights and gun towers, they inflated their raft with a concertina stole from another inmate and modified to serve as bellows. What did we say a concertina was? It's an accordion, right? Oh, yeah, right. Accordion. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) At some time after 10, investigators estimated they boarded the raft, launched it, and departed toward their objective, Angel Island, just two miles to the north. Shouldn't have even taken that long, dude. I think they should have done three separate rafts. It would have worked. I could have. But two miles to the north is not even long. Right, it's not. You could swam that. Right. Nah, that was a little probably choppy waters that night. Nah. The escape was not discovered until the morning of June 12th due to the successful dummy head that the guards were like, oh, man, these guys are just sleeping for a while. Just a little sleepy like, heads. Like, time to get up, Frank. A little sleepy heads, literally. <laughs> oh, no, we, we got sleepy heads. <laughs> multiple, <laughs> multiple military. <laughs> the warden's like, not sleepy not heads. sleepy heads. <laughs> Pushes the panic button. Right. Multiple military and law enforcement agencies conducted an extensive air, sea, and land search over the next 10 days. 14th of June, a Coast Guard cutter picked up a paddle floating about 200 yards off the southern shore of Angel Island. On that very same day, in the same general location, workers on another boat found a wallet wrapped in plastic, complete with names, addresses, photos of the Anglins, friends, and relatives. So, they know it's uh, Clarence or... uh, What's the other guy's name? John. John. John Boyce. They got John Boyce's wallet. Yeah, but I mean, they could have flipped over or something and fell out. Easily. Doesn't mean that they're dead. Or they said, throw your wallets. Or that, (laughs) yeah, to bring them off the trail, right? Right. And through a paddle. And through a paddle. On June 21st, shreds of raincoat material believed to be the remnants of the raft were found on a beach not far from the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, the following day, a prison boat picked up a deflated life jacket made from the same material 50 yards off of Alcatraz. Mm. According to the final FBI report, no other physical evidence was found, which, like I said, they could have just thrown all that shit in the water and right. to make them seem like they flip. That's what I would do, or right? Capsize or capsized or drowned. What good is a wallet to a guy that it's that should be dead, right? Right. I'm thinking he knows his family's information and right. all that shit. So, And what good is the raft? Right. You can do with that, drag it around everywhere. Right. This is what we use to escape Alcatraz. <laughs> it's a shrine. Came off at the bus of Saline. Yeah, Saline. I'm here out of my garage wall. <laughs> <laughs> FBI agents surmised 
early on that the men had drowned. Mm, of course they did. FBI was like, I'm not investigating this right. shit. They cited that the fact uh, the individual's personal effects were the only belongings they had and the men who have drowned before leaving behind. It was a wallet. A wallet. I don't think anybody's r- r- uh, being risked to drown for a wallet. Right. However, However, no human remains were ever, ever found at that time. At that time. <laughs> <laughs> at that time, ever. <laughs> they were never, ever found at that time. <laughs> uh, not their Herman, 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 Herman remains. Not those ones, anyways. Right. Right. 17 July, a month after the escape, a Norwegian ship, SS Norfjil. 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 Spotted a body floating in the ocean, 15 nautical miles, 17 miles from the Golden Gate Bridge. The ship did not retrieve the body and did not report the sighting until October. Mm, that ship was up to no good. Body just floating in the water. How do you not report it? Right. They took, what, July, August, September, October, three months to even report it? Three months. Maybe they didn't report it until they got back. Right. Does it take that three a Norwegian ship, and they're in the Pacific. So Why the hell is a Norwegian ship in California? So they probably had to go all the way around <laughs> to get back to Norway. Right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Or unless they go up. Because they, yeah, because they go up. Go around that way. They go up and uh, um, go around. What is that Russia? called up there? Go around Russia. What is that called? What is that area up there called? The ocean. No. Obviously, the, the Antarctic is down there. Is it the Arctic? Arctic. Arctic Ocean, right? So these guys didn't say nothing until October. Yeah, either are <laughs> floating in. They say the Ar- they say the Arctic though, so good for them. Right. San Francisco <laughs> County Coroner Henry Turkle cast doubt on speculation that it could have been one of the escapees, emphasizing the improbability improbability that a body would still be floating on the surface of the ocean after more than a month. Right. Instead, he proposed that the corpse may have been that of Cecil Philip Herman. A 34-year-old unemployed baker who had jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge, Golden Gate Bridge five years, five days. <laughs> He's like, no way could they uh, be a month, but surely five years five again. Years. <laughs> yeah, why not? Five days earlier. Uh, several coroners from neighboring counties alleged Turkle's opinion or challenged Turkle's opinion, not alleged it, <laughs> alleged it was fake, uh, stating that it was possible the remains belonged to one of the escapees. Of course, it's possible. <laughs> Slim. Anybody can say it's possible. Slim to none. Like, right. It's like the chances of dying from COVID. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Right. FBI investigators announced their official position. And that, that's the sign of that's the sound of the feed getting cut off because right. it got pulled from all co- uh, right. podcast providers. Right. FBI investigators announced their official position that while it was theoretically possible for the men to have reached Angel Island, the odds of their having survived the turbulent currents and the frigid waters of the bay were negligible according to the final fbi report west said that he had planned to steal clothes and a car upon reaching land but no such thefts were reported in the immediate oh, but were there hmm west was the only conspirator not to participate in the actual escape he tried supposedly he fully cooperated with the investigation and was therefore not charged for his role i would have been like i ain't telling you nothing less than my sentence or something you know West yeah, was because they found the hole in this thing, they could charge them with something. How does, why would they have found this hole? I don't know why, would unless they he told them. Yeah, well, they, unless he went over and told unless them, they went and checked everybody's bunk yeah, after that. That's true. My, how many more you motherfuckers were planning, mm. mother efforts were planning this, right? Who else, who else couldn't get away? Hmm. Well, he was transferred to McNeil Island, Washington, when Alcatraz was deactivated in 1963 and later back to Atlanta. Okay. After serving a sentence there, followed by two additional sentences in Georgia and Florida, he was released in 1967, only to be arrested again in Florida the following years on charges of grand larceny. He's like, I love prison. I want to go back. 
at Florida State Prison. He fatally stabbed another inmate in October of 1972 in what may have been a racially motivated incident. Mm, speculation. Yeah. Uh, he was serving Pure. multiple sentences, including life imprisonment on the murder conviction when he died of acute peritonitis. Peritonitis in 1978. Acute. Acute. It was acute. Oh, so Look at that peritonitis. So cute. <laughs> so cute. So he died in prison. Yeah. Doing what he loved. Right. <laughs> Doing prison. <laughs> 16th December, 1962. Alcatraz inmate John Paul Scott made water wings from inflated rubber gloves and successfully swam a distance of 2.7 nautical miles, which is 3.1 land miles, from Alcatraz to Fort Point at the southern end of the Golden Gate Bridge. So he made it to the bridge. He was found there by teenagers. He had hypothermia and exhaustion. Of course he did. After recovering in Letterman Army Hospital, I can't believe those teenagers went and told, told, unless he was like, go get somebody, I don't care, I'm dying. Probably. So is this after the escape? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So they're saying this proves that you can swim the two miles that it takes. And if you're strong enough, you can get over hypothermia and exhaustion. Apparently, right. And he did inside of a hospital. Mm-hmm. And after that, he took him right back to where he swam from. Mm-hmm. Scott's is the only documented case of an Alcatraz inmate reaching the shore by swimming. By swimming. Today, a multitude of athletes swim from Alcatraz to Fort Point as part of two annual triathlon. Triathlon. So why triathlon. is it? Why? Game is that? Triathlon. So clearly, if multitude of athletes are swimming the that to Fort Point, then it could be realistic. The FBI dismissed it as. Uh, You've never to, been done. Right. Due to the choppy waters and the, the temperature, that could never happen. And we know that the anglers, the anglers, the anglers are some pretty good Angles. swammers. Yeah, exactly. So uh, FBI dropping the ball once again because Alcatraz, Alcatraz, Alcatraz costs more to operate than any other prison. Uh, nearly 10 per prisoner per day as opposed to three per prisoner per day at Atlanta. Right, right. Uh, and because 50 years of salt water saturation has severely eroded the buildings, Robert F. Kennedy, Attorney General at the time, ordered it closed on March 21st, 1963. So much closed. And then his brother got shot. Not too long after that. Mm-hmm. Months. November. So Robert Kennedy closed that bitch down in uh, March 1963, huh? He's like, gotta go. Gotta been- go. What well, was the next person they put all these dangerous criminals in? Seattle? The one in Washington? The FBI closed its file on 31st of December, 1979. <laughs> sure. After a 17-year investigation, the official finding was that the prisoners most likely drowned in the cold waters of the bay. Mm. Right. They cited that the remnants found of the raft, as well as personal effects of the men, as evidence that the raft broke, sank some at, at some point in time, and the three convicts succumbed to hypothermia. Their bodies swept out to sea by the rapid currents of the San Francisco Bay. Never to be seen from again. Or I don't or, know how they conclude that it that it ripped apart just because they found the remnants of it. Right. Like I said, it could have easily they could have destroyed it on Poipus. Right. That's what I'm saying. Did they ever <sighs> take an account of that? No, they didn't, apparently. Well, the FBI did hand their evidence over to the U.S. Marshals Service, who in, whose investigation remains open as of today. Uh, as Deputy U.S. Marshal Michael Dyke told NPR, there's an active warrant and the Marshal Service doesn't give up looking for people. Right. 2009, he said that he was still receiving leads on a regular basis. The warrant will expire in 2030 when all the missing men would be at least 100 years old. 2030. A couple more years. Hey. A couple more years. If any of them are alive and uh, they get to 100 years old in 2030, I'd come out and be like, it was me all along, Austin. I would. I would. Like, I did it. Right. There's yeah. no more warrant. Right. 
what are you gonna do anyway? Right. Hundred years old, you can do anything you want to me. I don't right. give a put, shit. Put me in prison. At least I'll be cared for. Unless I'm agile and right. If I'm hundred years old and, and I'm like, who 80, knows what's gonna happen in eight years? Right. That could uh, prolong the life of a human. So hold on, we'll, we'll see about that when that comes around. <laughs> January 1965, the FBI investigated a rumor that Clarence England was living in Brazil. Oh, Brazil. Agents were dispatched to South America, but found no direct evidence that he was there. A man called the Biru, Biru, the man called the Buru in 1960, <laughs> the Buru, the Buru, the, Buru. <laughs> the, the Frederick Bureau, 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 yeah, the man called the Bureau in 1967, claiming to have been Morris's classmate, or the um, federal, federal Buru of investigation, <laughs> Buru, oh, jeez, anyhow, some guy claiming that he was Morris's classmate, and he's known him for 30 years. Said he bumped into him in Maryland and described him as having a small beard and a mustache. Mustachio. But refused to give further details. Mm, refused. What does that even mean? Right. That's all I'm going to give you. Uh, I don't want to give like, nothing else. I was like, okay. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> small, Family. small beard and well, mustache, you said? <laughs> this is the U.S. Marshals now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Family members of the England brothers occasionally receive postcards and messages over the years. Most were unsigned. Mm. One was signed Jerry and another one Jerry and Joe. Jerry and Joe. The family also produced a Christmas card purportedly received in the family mailbox in 1960 in 1962 saying to mother from John. Merry Christmas. Mm. Another of the England's 11 siblings, Robert, also said that sometimes the phone would ring and all that could be heard was breathing on the other end. Robert said, I suppose all that could have been pranks, but maybe it was my brother's. I don't think so, Robert. Maybe mm. it was Robert. How many times they had pranks before? Right. Right. The mother of the England brothers received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death in 1973. And two very tall, unusual women in heavy makeup were reported to have attended her funeral. Federal officials say that, uh, uh, what's that movie? Thank you, Tu Wong. Tu Wu, Tu from China or something. <laughs> Wong Fu or something. Right. You got a big old Wesley Snipes and a big old uh, Patrick Swayze walking around in some dresses. Grasses. Grasses. Anyhow, federal officials say that in the mid to late 1960s and into the 1970s, there were six or seven sightings reported of Anglin Brothers, all in North Florida or Georgia. Robert said that in 1989, when the father of the Anglin Brothers died, two strangers in beards showed up at the funeral. According to Robert, they stood in front of the casket, looking at the body for a few minutes. They wept, then they walked out. Huh. Hmm. And nobody talked to these guys. Right. Just because you got beards doesn't mean you can't recognize somebody, first of all. Right. And I'm pretty I mean, sure that was a pretty small family. Everybody knew. Right. So, like, I mean, come on. Come on. Who are those guys? Who are these guys? Right. It's just some weird people. I wonder if they're related to the two right. uh, tall, freaky women that came in. Mama's funeral. Hmm. Idiots. In 1989, a woman who identified herself only as Kathy caught Unsolved Mysteries tip line to report that a photo of Clarence matched the description of a man who lived on a farm near Mariana, Florida. Another woman also recognized a photo of Clarence and said uh, he lived near Mariana. Mm. She correctly identified his eye color, height, and other physical features. Another witness claimed that a sketch of Frank Morris bore a striking resemblance to a man she had seen in the same area. So are these guys just hiding out in Mariana, Florida? These guys, it's, um, they're almost 30 years older. How old are they, old are they when they uh, escape? Got to be at least 30, About right? 30s, yeah. So now they're 60s. I mean, ought to have been how well they aged. 70. 
Now, depending on how well they age, they could still look somewhat decent, I guess. I don't know about two pitchers that they're showing. Right. Unless they did the aging thing back then. Well, I'm sure they did. 89, Unsolved Mysteries. They could have done the aging technology. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's see here. A day after the escape, a man claiming to be John Anglin called a lawyer, Eugenia McGowan, in San Francisco to arrange a meeting with the United States Marshal's office. When McGowan refused, and why would he refuse? The caller terminated the phone call. Why would a lawyer refuse that? I don't get it. It's a lawyer's job. I bet he called. I was like, I'm one of the escapees. Right. He's like, dude's like, the fifth time, what, fifth one today. Right. I'm like, yeah, get the hell off my phone, you punk kid. Yeah, punk kid. Well, Robert Chechi, a San Chechi? Francisco police officer, said that at 1 a.m. on the morning of June 12th, he saw an illegal quote unquote boat. Quote unquote boat. <laughs> Why would it be quote unquote? And how would he know it's illegal? Potentially illegal. Elite, right. Suspicious. It's a suspicious boat in the bay near Alcatraz. A few minutes later, the boat left, headed under the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, this led to speculation that the prisoners might have enlisted outside Confederates to pick them up. I don't know why the Confederates. Right. Um, the FBI dismissed <laughs> Chechi's account out of hand. Right. Like, nah. Break off, FBI. They're like, nah, that didn't happen, but they drowned. <laughs> right. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. He's like, but I nope. <laughs> no, <Sarah's a> <laughs> no. Lungs full of water. Nope. <laughs> <Round>. Bubbling. Bubbling. <laughs> nope. <laughs> 1993, a former Alcatraz inmate named Thomas Kent told the television programs America's Most Wanted they had helped them escape. He goes, I was there. Sure. I helped them. I helped old uh Mr. Morris and the two bros, the England bros, and poor West. Got left behind. Got left behind. We had room for him. Right. Then he claimed to have provided significant new leads to investigators. He said that Clarence Anglin's girlfriend had agreed to meet the men on shore and drive them to Mexico, to the old country. Ah, He said he declined to participate in the actual escape because he could not swim. That's a good reason. That's what uh, Thomas Kent said. Mm -hmm. Officials were skeptical of Kent's account because he had been paid $2,000 for the interview. (laughs) I'll say anything for $2,000. What you got there? I'll just read this whole paper, right? I'll say anything for two. So he got two thousand for telling a fake story. Must have been on CNN. <laughs> uh, a man named John Leroy Kelly dictated an extended deathbed confession to his nurse in 1993. He claimed that he and his partner picked up Morris and the Anglins in a boat and transported them to Seattle, uh, in the Washington area. Later, under the guise of transporting them to Canada, Kelly and his partner murdered the escapees. To get the forty thousand their families had collected for them, we got one person saying that they were going to go drive to Mexico, and now this guy's like, "No, nah, they're going to Canada." What are you talking about? These guys are going to Canada, right? At a location in Seattle where Kelly claimed the three escapees were buried, no human remains were found. Liar! Jeez. Why do people make up stuff like that? These are idiots. Liar! Idiots. Two thousand three, Miss Butters. Miss Butters. <laughs> Miss Miss Butters. Miss Butters. <laughs> Miss Butters. <laughs> Welcome miss, to the new Miss Butters. I miss my old maid, Miss Butters. <laughs> Miss Butters. Two thousand three, Miss Busters. There was an episode of, of Myth Busters. If you guys ever watched it before, uh, on Discovery Channel, it tested the feasibility, the feasibility, the feasibility of an escape from the island aboard a raft constructed with the same materials and tools available to the inmates. He concluded that. Well, it was extremely tough. It was possible. It was possible. I mean, could you do it? Yeah. Of course you can. We haven't, I bet the episode is, we really haven't found anything to show us that you can. Oh, possible. 
It's possible. All right. 2011 documentary on the National Geographic Channel entitled Vanished from Alcatraz reported that the, that contrary to the official FBI report, a raft was discovered on Angel Island on June 12, 1962, the day after the escape with footprints leading away from it. I don't know if footprints mm, would still be there. But. All right. They went a little too far with the footprints. Right. <laughs> Furthermore, the raft is cool. a 1955 blue Chevrolet with California license plate KPBO76 was reported stolen in Marin County the oh. same day. A claim corroborated by contemporaneous, a claim corroborated by stories in the Humboldt Dime and the San Francisco Examiner. The following day, a motorist in Stockton, California, 80 miles east of San Francisco, reported that um, they had been forced off the road by three men in a blue Chevrolet. Uh oh. Mm. Uh oh. Uh oh. Think so? They only made it 80 miles. 80 miles. I mean, right. Well, who knows when they stole the car? Right. The same year, an 89-year-old man named Bud Morris, oh, Bud. Who, who claimed he was a cousin of Frank Morris, said that on eight or nine occasions prior to the escape, he delivered envelopes of money to Alcatraz guards, presumably bribes. Yeah. We all know that. He further claimed to have... That's probably how they... Hey, wait. Right. He delivered envelopes of money to Alcatraz guards, presumably his bribes, so he took... A boat all the way to Alcatraz all the time? Had to have, or in when the guards... Or were, when they went home or something, right. I guess. He further claimed to have met his cousin face-to-face in San Diego Park shortly after his escape. His daughter, who was eight or nine, he went on the... He gave eight or nine uh, payments of bribery. And, and his uh, daughter, daughter was, was eight, eight or, or nine. nine. Mm. <laughs> she was present, and she confirms that mm. dad's friend Frank, but had no idea. That he was an escaped convict. Right. Just my dad's friend. I didn't friend. know. This is my dad's friend, Frank. I remember going to the park to see my dad's friend. My dad's friend, Frank. That's right, Frank. Frankie Fran. <laughs> Frankie Fran. Oh, Frankie Fran. <laughs> A 2014 oh, study <laughs> of the ocean currents by scientists at Delft University concluded that if the prisoners left Alcatraz by 11.30 p.m. on June 11th, they could have made it to the Horseshoe Bay just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. And that any debris would have floated in the direction of Angel Island. Why wouldn't consistent it? Consistent with where the paddle and belongings were actually found. Why wouldn't it? If they left before or after that time, they said, tides and currents were such that the chances of survival were slim. Well, it says they left around 10. And right. so you're telling me if they left at 1129 or 1131. Tide don't last that long, does it? More than a minute, I would assume, right? It's probably like a half hour at least. Hour. Mm-hmm. Right. So how long before or after? Right. That's the thing. Mm. So it could come, could be at 10 p.m. is when the tides are starting to be good. Right. And then you so, got that whole, right. Right. 2015 History Channel documentary entitled Alcatraz, Search for the Truth, presented further circumstantial evidence gathered over the years by the England family. So they got actual evidence from one of the actual uh, family. Yeah. From the actual criminal guy that decided to escape the rock. Kenneth and David Widener displayed Christmas cards containing England's handwriting and allegedly received by uh, the family members for three years after escape. So he's like, I mean, that's their handwriting. They have to sign something when they go to prison, right? I would assume so. Or if they got something with their handwriting, sure they, like letters. Sure or they did letters or something, right? Shit like that. And he's like, well, it all matches. Uh, so he said the handwriting was uh, verified, but none of the envelopes contained a postmarked stamp. So experts could not determine when they had been delivered. Right. So how are they getting delivered? They're just getting somebody slipping them in a mailbox. Right. So how'd they get them? Right. 
U.S. Postal Service ain't ain't delivering you know, mail. You get another one without a stamp that you paid for. Right. Um, and so. Dan and pay his five cents for the stamp. Mm-mm. Yeah, that don't make any sense at all. Well, the family cited a story from family friend Fred Brizzy, who grew up with the brothers and claimed to have recognized them in Rio de Janeiro in 1975. Uh, Brazil. I've seen him down in Brazil. Uh, I've seen him down in Brazil. Uh, they produced photographs reportedly taken by Brizzy, including one of two men who, according to Brizzy, were John and Clarence Anglin. Standing next to a large termite mound. So this guy took photographs, right? Which means he's taking a lot of photographs. I bet all of his photographs are like clear as day of everything. Right. And then That's here's fun. the ones I got. Out of the <laughs> a little spotty there. <laughs> Forgive me. I was excited. Uh, the wind was blowing. Like perfectly clear pictures of an up close bear or something. I was like, oh. Well, the pictures of the Anglins, everything in the background is clear as shit, except for, right. like, except <laughs> for them. <laughs> for some, they don't take too good pictures. I tried. Uh, doesn't matter what happened. Uh, forensic experts working for the family confirmed that the photos were taken in 1975 okay. and asserted that the two men were more than likely the Anglins. Although the age and condition of the photo and the fact that both men were wearing sunglasses hindered efforts to make a definitive determination. And who takes pictures with sunglasses on? Right. Well, especially back in that day. A lot of people. Not in that day. 75. Yeah, these they're already almost 50. They're old school. They ain't wearing sunglasses. Well, you don't know that. Especially in real de Janeiro. Of course. Yeah, exactly. They're in real. Getting drunk with the Brazilians. The real. The real Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Brizzy also presented an alternative escape theory. Rather than the use of the raft to cross the bay, he said they paddled around the island to the boat dock where they attached an electrical cord, which was reported missing from the dock on the night of the escape to the rudder of a prison ferry that departed the island shortly after midnight. And were towed behind to the mainland. I'll come the FBI and FBI and the FBI reports. There's no reported missing of a uh, electrical, electrical cord. cord. I call that bullshit on that one. All right. Moving on to Art Roderick, a retired deputy U.S. marshal who had once headed the investigation and later worked with the Anglin family, called Brissy's photograph of the two men absolutely the best actionable lead we've had. But added, it could still be all a nice story, which isn't true. Or the photograph could be a misdirection aimed at steering the investigation away from the England's actual whereabouts. It's true. Very true. I mean, come on. One, so how one about, said they're going to Canada. The other one said they're going to Mexico. How about you just say, I don't know. Right. <laughs> just say that. No, no. Or just go with the FBI says, nope. Nope. Yep. <laughs> Ground. Yep. Ground. <laughs> Dead. Gone. <laughs> Swept out to sea. <laughs> Remnants. Remnants. <laughs> Paddle. Paddle. <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> Wallet. <laughs> Go. Uh, <done>. close. <laughs> Finish. Uh, Michael Dyke, the last deputy marshal assigned to the case, said Brizzy was a drug smuggler and a con man. Oh, you discredit right. him right away. How are we going to listen to this guy? All right. How are we going to listen? I'm very suspicious of his accounts, he said. Brizzy's window, window. He's <laughs> a widow, window, window, widow. He's a talking window. This guy's rich. <laughs> Brizzy's widow. Said that she never heard him mention anything about England. Well, why did she tell you? Or seen him in 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 Rio de Janeiro. De Janeiro. Can just skip the day. Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro. Oh, Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Rio de Janeiro. Wait, that's Janeiro. All right. All right. Rio, Rio de Janeiro. And right. she's like, I tell you the truth. If I had to say anything, I'll say that he's a con man. 
some wife. That's that's probably why I didn't tell you anything, you cunt. Right. Said so this dude's always making up stories, prone, mm. prone to make up stories. Mm. An expert working for the United States Marshal Services did not believe the photograph was legitimate. Yeah, of course not. Like, yeah. Well, Dyke said measurements of the physical characteristics of the England brothers indicate that they are not the men in the Brazil photo, but he acknowledged the difficulty in making a definitive determination and ruling it out, uh, ruling it out as a valid lead. Right. Let's keep that there just in case, uh, but we're not going to dig into it. In January 2020, an Irish creative agency and AI specialist I, at Identiv, I-D-E-N-T-V, right. uh, use facial recognition TV or TV's technologies, techniques, <laughs> or rather, to conclude that the men in the photo were John and were Clarence England. I mean, come on, there's too many. Concluded it. I trust, say that? I trust the AI technology nowadays and all that shit better than yeah, I check. not really. I trust uh, Michael Dyke or whatever the hell this guy's name is. A lot of a lot of people have the same facial features, facial facial or makeout. It doesn't matter. And it does. Also, AI, they scan like every inch of your face. They would have easily been to make out like a eye pattern or something like that. Yes. You never know, right? Right. Robert Anglin reportedly told family members before his death in 2010 that he had been in contact with John and Clarence from 1963 until approximately 1987. Surviving family members who said they have heard nothing since Robert lost contact with the brothers in 1987. Announced plans to travel to Brazil to conduct a personal search. Like, we got to go to Rio de Janeiro to see if this is actually true. But Roderick cautioned that they could be arrested by Brazilian authorities because the Alcatraz escape remains an open Interpol case. Can be, uh, can't be um, interfering in investigations now. And you want to mess with Interpol because uh, they'll get you. They go, those guys make you disappear. Mm-hmm. In 2018, the FBI confirmed the existence of a letter allegedly written by John Anglin and received by the San Francisco Police Department in 2013. The writer asserted that Frank Morris died in 2008 and was buried in Alexandria under a different name, and Clarence Anglin died in 2011. Hmm. He says his purpose in writing the letter uh, was to negotiate his surrender in exchange for medical treatment of his cancer. The letter's authenticity was deemed inconclusive. Hmm. I think it could be true, right? That would be... If any of the stories that I would believe, it'd probably be this one. This dude, all right, old as shit, Done. got cancer now, and now he needs treatment. He ain't going to no doctors. Don't have no money, probably. Right. Been broke his whole life. But they say it's inconclusive, which means they probably had some uh, inquiries of right. uh, that it was true. They're like, well, mm-hmm. you know, well, let's leave it be. Yeah. Leave it be. Inconclusive. Right. <laughs> inconclusive. Right. 2019 episode of the series Mission Declassified. Investigate journalists. Investigative journalists. Uh, lead anchor, <laughs> uh, investigative journalist Christoph Putzel corroborated much of the information released by the FBI and other sources. Corroborate, corroborated. I just heard that word the other day in the show. Corroborated. Yeah, corroborated. <laughs> I said, "Why would you corroborate? Why would you not corroborate?" And he was like, "I don't even know what that means." He quoted various. Sure he didn't say cooperate. No, it was corroborated. <laughs> He quoted various reports mentioning a blue Chevrolet of the same description oh. as a stolen. See, they should never even say what was stolen or anything. Let people find out, you know, come up with their own stories. If everybody's saying blue Chevrolet, not we've been looking for a blue Chevrolet. You know what that blue Chevrolet you're looking for? I've seen, I've it. seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. I tell you what, look like the same three fellas you're looking for too, driving it. I saint it all at the same time too. It's weird. Never seen three fellas drive a car at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they all had one hand on the steering wheel. It's crazy. Nuts. 
All right. Anyhow, <laughs> he quoted various reports mentioning a blue Chevrolet of the same description as a stolen one mm. uh, spotted in Oklahoma, Indiana, Ohio, South Carolina, where three months after the escape, three men matching the escapee's description attempted to acquire residence in the woods. Yeah, whatever. I don't like that story. No. One bit. Well, J. Campbell Bruce's 1963 book, Escape from Alcatraz, documents the 1962 escape, right. along with other escape attempts over the 29 years that Alcatraz Island served as a prison. Prison. Uh, the film Escape from Alcatraz in 1979 <laughs> stars Clint Eastwood, Fred Ward, Jack Thibault, Thibault, as Frank Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin, respectively. Uh, West, who in the movie is a fictionalized character named Charlie Butts. Charlie played, Butts. Played by Larry Hankin. Larry Hankin. Everybody knows Larry Hankin. Charlie Butts. Wasn't that like the goofy one? Isn't there always like a goofy one in prison? The one that's crazy? Yeah, he's the one that was telling the... Oh, no, that was the, the longest yard. <laughs> the little creep going back telling the warden and everything. Oh, yeah. What was his name? I don't know. The little creep. He's the one that got care, caretaker. Caregiver? Or the caretaker? Caretaker. Caregiver killed. Yeah. Sad. Poor caregiver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor taker. Nah, caretaker. Caretaker. Let's go. Where are we at? The escape was shown in a two-part 1980 TV movie made by Telepictures Corporation, now owned by Warner Bros. <laughs> Thank you for that information. <laughs> Alcatraz, the whole shocking story, which starred Ed Lauder as Frank Morris, Louis Giabavel, and Anthony Anthony Ponzini as the Anglin brothers. And I still haven't mentioned the other guy. What's his name? Oh, West. No, the other brother. Oh, Alfred or something. Alfred. Yeah. We're at Alfred. Um, Poor Alfred. Well, never not only that, this is 1980. The original movie was made in 1979. So these guys made a TV movie off of it. Uh, two part. Stupid. It's probably dumb. Never even heard of any of those guys. Of the 36 inmates who staged. 14 escape attempts over the 29 years that Alcatraz served as a federal penitentiary. 23 were recaptured. Six were shot and killed. Two drowned. And five, Morris and the Anglins and, and uh, some other people called Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe are listed as missing and presumed drowned. Now, the Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe guys, they just they escaped December 16, 1937. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They were working in the match shop. Routine head count at one showed all prisoners accounted for. At the next mm-hmm. count at one thirty, the two men were gone. Mm-hmm. Two iron bars and three heavy glass panes of a window in the shop had a hole in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took a wrench. They were forced to gate. Their trail vanished at that point. They dropped 20, down, 20 feet down to a beach, and their trail vanished. Ooh. They... Um, at the beach, the men presumably entered the water relying on floats improvised from tires or fuel canisters. There was no evidence to suggest they had constructed or launched a raft. Hmm. They don't know. And then now, of course, they conclude that they drowned. Of course they did. Right after, shortly after their launch. Yeah. So, nope. Brown. I don't know. In this story, there's a lot of um, plausible things, I guess. Plausible. I think the only one that really would make sense to me is the one... Uh, if they were to live is the one where he's trying to get help for his cancer. Right. Right. Other than that, I think the other ones are just bullshit. Garbage. A couple of them for, were from TV shows, which are clearly trying to get ratings. will say anything yep. or do anything to make it seem like it was real anyway. It was so definitely garbage. Garbage. We, so, we, so my final uh, assumption is that they made it out. I think so. They made it out. I think they made it. Yep. Good for them. There's no way they didn't. Mm. 
I mean, there's a way they didn't, but mm, I don't think so. I think they definitely made it out. It's possible. So yeah, you make your own uh, decision on that one. Did you? Did they make it? Did they not make it? You know what? You can email us at bangdangpodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know. Did the um, escape from Alcatraz escapees make it, or did they die in the water? And with that, we're gonna see you guys next week for one of the most infamous cases ever in the history of the United States. DB Cooper. You guys have all heard about DB DB Cooper, but there's been a lot of stuff that's actually come out in the last like 10, 15 years that uh lots of stuff still keeps coming about this guy. Who is he? Nobody knows. We'll try to figure that out next week. In the meantime, make sure you guys well, if you guys want to see this in video and unedited, get about 20. It's probably your about 20 minutes of extra content going to be exclusively to Patreon Patreon for this episode. Patreon.com forward slash bang dang $2 a month. Forward. You get this show, Mouthy Michigan. I'm out Michigan. Why do I say that? Uh, Monday Night Watch Along, Lee and Corey, and our brand new Battles of the American Civil War, where we're taking a look at every single battle of the American Civil War, obviously. So, what are you going to do, right? Patreon.com forward slash bang dang. We'll be next. We'll be neck. We'll be back next week. For- we don't know what we're going to be next week. We'll, <laughs> we'll be a neck. We'll be. Uh, <laughs> we'll be a neck. Uh, Patty Wack, give a dog a bone <laughs> next week. Because we're in the mother of Michigan. This old man came rolling home. Bang, dang.